You're listening to The Interview, in-depth retailer interviews with inspirational people. This episode of The Retail Exchange is brought to you in association with Peak Technologies. Peak Technologies are helping world-leading retailers across Europe and the US to achieve sustainable, responsible and rapid growth. Retail operations optimise, productivity boosted, supply chain lifecycle extended, waste reduced. Unlock access to real-time visibility of critical assets and processes with the latest in digital retail technology solutions. Visit peaktech.co.uk today to learn more and book your free 15-minute consultation. Peak Technologies. Achieve sustainability without reducing quality or value. There is no doubt that new young you know businesses are coming in and just sifting away little bits of market share and i think that uh my hope is you know for the sake of really unique great retail product that there's going to grow kind of an organic appetite expecting even the bigger guys to take some risks because at some point there's going to be an acknowledgement of wow we have lost this because we haven't taken risks and there'll be a better appetite for that and maybe even an expectation to really try to take some gambles. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever, and welcome to the latest in the interview series from the Retail Exchange podcast. As we bring you insight and opinion from premier retail industry professionals and thought leaders. Today, I'm joined by Calvin Anderson, VP Global Digital Strategy for Dickies, Outra and Smartwall, three of the many brands from the VF Corporation stable. Recorded live in the heart of New York City during NRF 2023, together we explore the changing face of digital transformation and what retailers can learn from Calvin's experience in the hospitality industry. Here's the episode. Calvin, hi, welcome. Hey Carl, great to see you. So look, I'd like to begin with an overview of the Dickies Smartwall and Outra brands, please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are three a little bit smaller brands within the portfolio of VF Corp. Dickies is our largest of those three. It just turned 100 years old this year. It is a all-American brand based out of Fort Worth, Texas with incredible history. Sometimes as we look at a crazy climate of potential recession looking forward. Um, we, it's really fun to be able to look at a hundred years of history and see how a brand moved within that. So you've got, and, and yeah. if I'm not yeah. mistaken, this is a brand workwear based. You got it. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm familiar with the coveralls and the dungarees and the caps and yes. all that, all that yes. gear. Absolutely. Yeah. No, um, we have several like core pieces. Our 874 is our classic work pant. We have the Eisenhower work jacket and there's about about four or five uh, pieces that really are iconic um, that have been, that remains, especially in North America, a huge workwear brand for genuine workers. And, and this is apparel and footwear, right? No footwear right ah, now. No we footwear. have dabbled in that, but it's, it's maybe not our X factor. And then uh, and then Europe and in APAC, it manages to be much more lifestyle. And there's certainly a huge lifestyle vibe of you know, like the consumer appropriating uh, the workwear. I have seen Dickies in clubs. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So have I. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we're going to the wrong clubs. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. No, it shows up uh, all over, which is, I mean, it's, you know, it's certainly fun being part of a consumer brand that just keeps getting adopted into consumer culture. And we have not really seeded that much. It kind of continues to get dragged in, which is pretty fun. So with Smartwool and Ultra, they're quite different. Yes, very. Smartwool, um, it's been around for about 20 years and um, it's just a super high quality started with socks and it got into 
a lot of base layers. Um, it is definitely like a cult following in the mountainous areas. It is just super great quality, ethically sourced, awesome product. So and is this a product which has got, uh, and I guess the clue is in the, the name, yep. um, this is about technological properties that give it smart wool. Yes, yes, it really is. Um, I mean, certainly the uh, heavy focus on the supply chain that it gets right to the customer that's ethically sourced, that it is organic materials rather than you know a whole bunch of synthetics and it, I suppose, I mean, socks are a real obvious place to start with um, product, but um, as you start to look at all these new brands that have a ton of synthetics, it's kind of saying, you know, hey, you can use a real natural uh, mm. ingredient. And, and be super authentic. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And Ultra, what is that yeah. about? Ultra is an interesting, again, kind of a, um, like a mountain climbing running shoe that is based on a footprint that um, is a much larger toe box because ultimately our feet are not meant to be crammed quite so close and so they have a larger toe box and it just becomes incredibly comfortable for really aggressive you know climbing and running a mountain so we do all the spreads of anything you would put on your feet but um, it kind of you know it's for not slipping off rocks as you're bouncing up and down essentially and it's just incredibly comfortable there's no breaking in um, and a lot of people uh, find it quite a revelation uh, a place speaking of kind of a uh, you know, like a surprise consumer, we had uh, women with bunions actually uh, wow. have become a group that really liked the larger toe box. So a very distinct yes. demographic. You got it, the opposite of a Louis Vuitton. And, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine with three very different brands, you have very different strategies in terms of how you're reaching the consumer, the, the engagement piece you want to do, and, and how you're kind of getting connectivity. Yes, absolutely. I think there's certainly a different customer. I'd say one of the dynamics that's really unique with Dickies is that you have um, a very genuine blue-collar worker that is using the product soup to nuts. You have a really um, clear skate customer, of which a huge percent of skate customers use the product at work, and they can go right to the skate park, which is often a very young Gen Z group. And then you have, again, like I said, that classic workwear, and then also kind of your, your high-end technical um, worker as well so electricians and plumbers and stuff like that and so it's it's definitely all over the board mm. and we also have a lot of women that wear the men's product and so there are a lot of little puzzles to figure out right. within that brand that's more broad and then when you get to but, something but oh, I guess okay. it keeps it interesting oh so interesting absolutely yeah no I mean I, I have maybe a pocket full of fun facts that are kind of the last month's observations on consumer behaviors and it's super fun to see what people do. I, um, yeah, and then Smart World and Ultra end up being much more, a little bit more niche. They are not entry-level products in a lot of cases, and so they're usually a world of very high repeat consumers that have tried it and love it and are expanding their exposure to the product. Right, so you're yeah. kind of selling to the converted, as it were. You got it, yep. Or cre creating a really unique narrative to you know, educate a new customer in that category. So the, the, the pandemic was you know, pretty instrumental in terms of many businesses and how they adapted their yes. strategies as, yep. as kind of time went on. Going, I guess, initially from that kind of panic moment, yes. you know, crisis hit, you know, suddenly normal operations are entirely interrupted. Absolutely. To we're coming through to the other side now where yep. kind of perhaps, you know, companies are thinking less about the here and now and thinking about, you know, how do we get back to a more steady, normal path of strategic development over time? Yep. Um, how has the pandemic changed your use of digital technologies so that you become flexible, agile, you know, all those words, but essentially yep. how are you using digital to keep on track? 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, there were certainly a lot of consumers that were already digital first before the pandemic, but there were a lot that were dragged right over the line, right? That had to So they couldn't shop in store, so this was their, their alternative. You got it, yes. I mean, even myself, I mean, just found myself buying Amazon way more than I ever thought and realizing how incredibly convenient it was instead of doing a round of errands on a Saturday or Sunday. And um, Can I just yeah. say, I have enough candles now for yes. five years. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, and make sure they're the good ones because the, the cheap ones can be kind of crazy. Send your guests on a floral adventure. Um. <laughs> and yeah. all that cardboard. That's too. right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dreadful. No, yeah, the cardboard's terrible. It's actually painful to see the waste. My God, I mean, after you unwrap a few packages in your home, boy, do you see, like, this is a lot of waste. We've got to get really thoughtful about this. Yeah, and actually, you also see where companies are getting this right or not. You yes. Know, I've bought some very high-end brands, which have been delivered in some very rubbish boxes. Right, yes. That and can, vice versa. That can be a thumbs-down experience as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we are, especially Smartwool and Ultra, which that's really in their vein, um, kind of works on a world where they're not wrapping things in plastic and if it's a, a band that keeps the socks together it's reusable and stuff like that but it's a finding that sweet spot is interesting right um, so you had some digital consumers yes. you had then a bunch more during and after the pandemic yes and, and how are you continuing to kind of uh, you know keep checked in with them and what they're looking for I really think today the best way to hear where your consumers at if you're looking for customer insight is truly through direct messages and social in most cases right. um, some of these brands are maybe a little too small to have a, a robust loyalty program, and so we haven't quite invested in that yet, which could be an alternative place for that. But a brand that is listening to their consumers through direct messages and response to their social posting is, I think, if you're not doing that, there isn't a, a better place to hear from your consumer. So, and when you're talking yeah. about direct messages, are you considering things such as SMS as well as the um, various um, social media platforms? I think SMS is a great route for that. Um, we are not interactively one-on-one -on -one engaging with people back in SMS. Um, some of our brands have definitely started the SMS tracking for your packages especially, which has been, I think, consumers like that. Um, I do think that SMS is a pretty intimate space for all of us, and so when you see that red notification on that green messaging app, um, if they're blowing you up with the wrong kind of promotions, it can almost create kind of an ick factor back to the consumers. So we haven't ventured too far beyond super solicited SMSing yet. Um, and if we do, it's, for example, uh, I know Timberland especially has really embraced uh, SMS and uh, they're pretty limited in their promotional texts. It's you know, right. maybe once every couple of weeks as not to over-invest where email, we're sort of all used to being blown up a little bit more. So how are you using social as a way to find out what your consumers want? You know, I think that we're, we're certainly in a journey. One thing that I'm responsible for for our brands is really the data environments for all of them. And so I think there's no doubt that there's a huge move to interest-based algorithms rather than simply social, which means that Kim Kardashian, who may have millions and millions of followers, has to post something interesting for the algorithm to catch it regardless of her following. And uh, so that opens up a really unique door for brands to really get clever with the content they make uh, in order to make sure it's interesting, which usually means you need a lot of content and you need to perfect uh, what that uh, response is. And then once you get energy behind it, then you would maybe take next steps to monetize it. And so where we're starting to really look at is uh, there's been a lot of focus at VF around consumer data, but now it's uh, we're starting to look at how we generate content and how we learn about our own data, which is 
What kind of uh, people are in this picture? What kind of what was the sort of message in that in that piece of content? Was it organic? Was it video? Was it paid? Um, and uh, and and what was it? A technical view or was it a, a brand feeling? What we were trying to sell? What was the commercial intention of it? And so we're starting to tag all those pieces so that we can sort of through data say the last time we ran a promotion or a collaboration or a drop, we did four emails, three organic pushes, it lasted six days, and then we came really hard with paid media at the end, and, you can, and we put a whole bunch of content that was sort of vague at the beginning and got very specific towards the end, and you can kind of say, you know what, like, people actually started transacting on day three when we expected they would trans transact on day five, and we think it's tied to the change of content from being broad to very technical, and that is what caused that response. And so, so, so you're being quite forensic about how you break those messages down. You got it. Trying to give give our creative brand people sort of bumpers of what is most likely to be successful, and helping them sort of do post mortems. Uh, and and how do those conversations go? I can only yeah. imagine. You know, when you're wading in with the creators, <laughs> they've got this great big shiny yeah. idea, yeah, and you say, yeah. But yes, that is uh, such a good question. Uh, we do have great people on the team, and uh, I kind of put out like B minus jokes to sort of keep them sort of friendly with me, uh, which helps. Do you see the room darkening yes. when you come in? Oh or, my God, yeah, or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Responses get breathy and sharp. <laughs> yeah. all, all those yeah. Zoom feeds yeah. gradually Absolutely. start checking out. My LinkedIn connections immediately start <laughs> dropping. <laughs> Yeah, no, I tell my team, uh, I kind of describe myself sometimes as king of the nerds. and um, I saw that movie yes. last night, okay. or The Rise yes. of the Nerds. Yes, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. Did we win? How did we do? I don't um, know, no. I was so fed <laughs> up with it. I fell asleep, Carl, darn it, Carl. Oh, man. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, no, I think that I always tell my team that half of the work is creating the tools and the environment and data, and the other half is making sure it gets integrated and used. And so I think our recipe is very, you guys ask the questions and let us do kind of the work for you to kind of help answer them. And so we're trying to drive a world where our brand partners are asking questions that sort of have frustrated them for a large amount of time. And, um, and I think people actually do take to it then. If you just give them a tool that may I may dub super successful, it, it maybe isn't something people are going to dive into. It's a little bit of hand-holding at first, which we are happy to do. Sometimes the feedback immediately I try not to take personally if they're kind of like, oh, this is too complex. But um, And have you had yeah. some really, like, wow, jaw-dropping big surprise moments? <laughs> yeah, we've had definitely some some pretty fun ones that are... Um, Such I mean, as? One, one is, and uh, I can't you know go way into detail, but we discovered um, that our, our skate user is has massive overlap with our work consumer and that they use the product literally in the same day without changing. So they're wearing the same thing at the skate park as they are to the restaurant or wherever they're working, which was pretty interesting to see. Um, and, and maybe these aren't mind-blowing. We also have learned things like, um, you know, we have a lot of women that use our men's product for workwear as well as lifestyle and seeing exactly how much is there is very interesting. And then you start going down the rabbit hole of asking, is there an interest in the genuine product as it is, or is that we don't supply enough yeah. of what they want so, in women? So has this provided some useful insight in terms of your inventory and assortment management? Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, but also in the way we sell it. I mean, we are kind of right now looking at putting women into men's clothes because so many bu women buy a lot of different men's clothes. And so um, it has nothing to do with pronouns and it's purely about the behavior and helping them understand how this is going to fit you and why. Uh, in the same regard, it impacts our product design because it's saying, 
For example, we may sell a whole bunch of very neutral uh, men's colors in a work t-shirt and uh, to women, and we go, wow, we're not offering these colors to women, and so are they buying the men's product because they don't have access to it or because they uniquely like the fit? I, yeah. I am in high expectation of yeah. a Dickie store on Rodeo Drive Abs sometime oh, soon. You buckle up for safety. You just <laughs> buckle right up. <laughs> Are you a retailer or brand wanting to be at the forefront of tomorrow's digital transformation? More than 3,500 power players from across the retail and brand ecosystem will be uniting at Shop Talk Europe 9th to the 11th of May in Barcelona to reimagine and build the latest innovations helping customers to discover, shop and buy more. It gets even better. If you are a retailer or brand, this is your final month to be part of ShopTalk Europe's VIP-hosted programme, which will entitle you to a free ShopTalk Europe ticket worth €1,895 Euros and €650 Euros hotel and travel budget. What's not to love? What's more, you'll be able to curate mutually matched meetings with the industry's most cutting-edge tech providers that align to your business. The final deadline for registration is 6 of April 2023 and the hosted meeting programme is already at 90% capacity, so don't miss the boat. To find out more, search Shop Talk Europe 2023 and register for tickets. This episode is brought to you by Peak Technologies. Peak Technologies deliver change that's good for your business, the bottom line and the planet. Consumers want to know that their favourite brands are committed to sustainability. That's a given. Sustainability can accelerate growth with measurable benefits while giving your brand something to be proud of. And you need to do it now. The point is, you can break the cycle of unreliable and outdated technology that causes endless disruption to the retail floor, stockrooms and supply chain technology. How? by leveraging the latest in mobility hardware, software and services to boost productivity, extend the life cycle of your supply chain, get more from your investment by optimising processes and maximising the adoption of technology whilst also minimising your carbon footprint, reducing e-waste and achieving responsible repair, disposal and asset recycling. Peak Technologies wants to see that change, to turn will deliver change tomorrow into change today. What's not to like? Discover more about Peak Technologies retail and supply chain solutions. Get a free 15-minute consultation today. Visit peaktech.co.uk. So, so if we think about yeah. how you go about managing this jigsaw puzzle of applications, you yeah. know, all this stuff is going on, inventory, transactions, the challenges of overcoming redundant data yeah. and business logic. Gosh, how? Your, your head must fry. But, but seriously, how, how do you kind of navigate a path to say, look, we do have a strategy yep. and it's composed of this? Yeah, uh, that is a great question. I think that, you know, it's about probably trying to pick a couple of priorities. No one, I don't think, in this environment exactly has the luxury of saying, what exactly does the customer want? And let's give them only that um, because there is a supply chain that takes a year to a year and a half to be ahead of trends and you may end up with a little more of something that you want or not. And so I think in a lot of cases, it's just trying to pick the top couple of combinations of where do we have a lot of product, but not just uh, kind of sprinkling that product to everyone, but understanding this is where it exists and so we need to do, if we don't have a huge customer base, 
or someone who wants something that we're a little oversupplied in temporarily, there's a world where we you know, have to take a very intentional strategy on customer acquisition of, this is 7% of the customers that need, have this product that we have a ton of, and let's drive real customer acquisition right in that place. And something yeah. I'm always interested yeah. in, especially when you attend a huge show like this at yes. NRF 2023, which is full of vendors which are kind of keen to show you that we have a, an Gobs app for them. this, an algorithm for this, a yes. tool for that. Yep. And not only can we tell you what your customers wanted in the past, but we will predict with a very confident crystal ball. Mm. Is there still a place for serendipity? <laughs> <laughs> um, in in this place, I I don't know. Um, I, I someone I did run into someone that was writing me an, an email on the floor and just said, "Oh, I'm writing you an email." Um, so I don't what, know if that's you're actually talking yes, to them. Yeah, yes, is that serendipity or, or terrifying? Um, or oh, just yes. terrible yes, bad absolutely. manners? Well, no. I mean, I, I mean, I guess. I mean, what, what's a girl to do when you sit there and you're like, "Oh, the person I'm emailing is right in front of me." Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. Because there, I, yeah. I, I, you know, look, I, I'm a retailer at heart and retailer runs through my, my, my veins. You know, you snap me in half and you see retail brands. Yes, okay. But it concerns me that so much of retail and historically has always yeah. been about the opportunity. Yes. It's about backing those gut feel ideas that everybody else felt nervous about but yeah. you said look no we're going to go out on the limb and we're going to do this and we're yes. going to make it a success yep. it worries me with all of this kind of analysis yeah. and super deep diving that we're losing our ability to be brave yes I think that um, is such an honest um, observation about retail and I think there's a, a pretty common criticism about the luxury brands right now that are really failing to find unique you know, bags and stuff like that. So I think it, it is a tough balance um, and it is certainly, I think the environment definitely rewards a lack of bravery, if I'm really honest, right? Sure, Publicly, especially yeah. I guess in this current time. Absolutely. Where, you know, the, you know, business is not as yep. strong as it could be, you know, customer yep. sentiment is soft. Yep. You know, Wall Street are, doesn't love risk in that area if you're publicly traded. Sure, and, um, and, yeah. and retail has not necessarily been you know, on trend for yes. some time. Yeah. E-commerce is where the conversation has been. Yes. So you know, for, for, for brands who are trying to be brave and daring yep. and you know, introduce something quite radical into the marketplace, the environment perhaps hasn't supported that. No, it, there's, it's a high risk, high reward. But I, th I think the, uh, a place of optimism in that is what we're seeing in uh, small retailers right now who are taking those risks and they're um, able to get lots of eyeballs on the interest-based algorithms and I think that and it, I guess this is where yeah. social can really yes. help those brands. Absolutely I think so too and I think that uh, that the big retailers uh, from luxury brands to kind of uh, mid-level brands like ourselves all the way down to pure commodity race brands are gonna take notice and there is no doubt that new young you know businesses are coming in and just sifting away little bits of market share and i think that uh my hope is you know for the sake of really unique great uh retail product that um there's going to grow kind of an organic appetite uh expecting even the bigger guys to take some risks because sure. at some point there's going to be an acknowledgement of wow we have lost this because we haven't taken risks and there'll be a better appetite for that and maybe even an expectation to really try to take some gambles, I'm sure. One of the things that interests me very much is um, how culture within a company almost yes. gives permission to do some of these Absolutely. things. Absolutely, yep. Um, 
VF is quite a, an interesting business, I think. They yes. have a, a great stable of brands. Yep. Um, and for many years, perhaps, you know, was you know, much more conservative than perhaps the company is today. Yes. You're a relatively new recruit into the organization. Yeah. How would you say that this culture that they have is supporting you in the work you're trying to do? Yeah. I almost never work for a company that has deeper, more thoughtful ethics. Um, and they are a big guy, that means you know the Titanic doesn't turn incredibly fast. But the model that VF brings is a portfolio holding company that brings in the base technology that can be kind of allocated quickly across any brand. And so I'm in a, the happy position. Um, I do not uh, represent our biggest brands, I represent our, uh, more of our smaller brands. Um, and there is actually- Can, can I just yeah, say please? Yet. Yes, yeah, touche, <laughs> yeah. There's some great growth and it's so fun. Uh, and so I'm personally in like kind of a very happy place of a company where you're not, you know, going and doing fundraising to, to pay yourself if you were a brand new startup, but you also have a lot of central leverage uh, to learn from the best. And they're actually, I would say in the last year, taking a lot of focus and, and um, uh, allowing, you know, a special effort uh, towards the smaller brand so that you can really kind of carve a different path. So I think- So, in so you, you have a fair amount of freedom in what you're doing. Yes, yeah, no, my job is to kind of be on, on the leadership teams of my three brands and understand their business needs and then go find a way to work with the central resources to make the very most of them. Uh, so mm. kind of a conduit in the middle, which is, is super fun. Um, I think, and, and, yeah. and how would you describe your leadership style? Uh, you know, are you yeah. this kind of, you're the big onerous guy that's coming in and is demanding answers and you know, you, you have to see it delivered, you know, <laughs> you want to see the spreadsheet. And yeah. No. No, I think uh, probably a combo. I think um, I, uh, I certainly have high expectations of the team, but I, I think that people are their best selves when they're creative and happy and feel gratified in their role. One of my limitations is that when you have smaller teams, you don't have tons of bandwidth, and so you really do need excellence and A players on the team. And so, so when you say you're demanding, yeah, what, yeah. What, what small stuff really exercises yes. you? Uh, I don't like it when people are not willing to fail and they're covering and protecting. I, I, my objective is to, as a leader to create an environment where people are uh, can fail in public and can learn from each other and can be exposed. And so if you are failing on repeat trying to hide ego, uh, that really hurts us and hurts the whole team. Okay. And so I have to create an environment that is super comfortable for people to express and ask questions and not posture, um, which has to be semi-flat in that environment. Uh, but if people come from a culture where they're used to a ton of hierarchy and a lot of posturing, um, that really ruins it. So I will definitely bring people aside and say, hey, that's not the direction we're trying to go. If you're if you're trying to posture, um, and there's you know a bunch of smart smart folks on these calls, and so it's difficult to you know totally pull the fleece over. It's I mean you know data and tech is not the place for fleece in a lot of cases. Uh, Unless it's smart fleece, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so, and, you yeah. know, I, I absolutely get that. And I think you're yeah. right. You know, if you want to get the best from people, you have to give, uh, create an environment where everybody can be themselves. Absolutely. Where they yeah. can contribute, where they can talk to, whether it's the CEO or to the person next yes. to them. With yep. that kind of equal parity in terms of we've all got something to offer. Yes. Um, if you feel that you could create that environment, yep. what would be a thing that you would do with your team that, that gets them all on the same page? What would yeah. be the fun thing that you would do? With every one of my team members, we uh, do this kind of a team member development plan, and it is so uh, transparent. <laughs> Essentially, uh, you just sit down and ask 
you know, very uh, sort of thoughtfully, what do you want out of work? And some people, of course, want different things. Some people want to grow incredibly fast. Some people want to just have a consistency and dependency uh, that, they, that, that it's consistent and good. Um, and so I like to ask what they want. A lot of people that end up working for me are relatively ambitious and want to grow. There's, there, there's a very like cold world where you're looking for people's skill sets genuinely as a commodity. Uh, if that's the role you're filling, and then there's also a world where I'm really looking for people's uh, unique way, ability to think green. I mean, uh, like a sense of applied economics, I would call it, right? And so um, if some people are way too programmed um, and all I need is a technical skill set, that could be it, but there's not really a lot of room for growth in that. And so I think as we're getting to a world where a lot of rep rep repetitive work is going to be automated, I need unique thinkers and solvers in a and, lot of and, cases. And what is the challenge there in terms of, presumably everybody's not back to the office yet, you've still right. got a fair amount yes. of hybrid working. Yes. You know, forming a team is difficult when people don't actually get to it see each is. other eye to yes. eye or especially, share lunch together. Or Yeah, especially if you want to grow them, right? And, and grow, expand kind of their creative thought in solving problems. I'm, nothing I love more than a whiteboard and um, we really miss that. And I don't, you know, there's some people that say that you can kind of manage just as well through Zoom, and I, I suppose I don't totally agree. It's just not the same. Now, you can be the best at what is a kind of a crummy situation, um, and I can't tell you how many calls I have where I'm asking a t my team of analysts to break down and explain um, a new reporting tool that we've brought out and to tell me the insights that they see and converse and out of those conversations, we're decide building the next phase of the tool and we're teaching people how to write a critique uh, that is digestible to the business, but it's so much nicer to do on a whiteboard. And so as best- And, and you yeah. also get the magnetism of people in the yes, room. Yes, absolutely, where they see the care, you know, it's sometimes there's people are fatigued of being on camera nonstop and- um, my biggest yeah. decision there generally is, is do I blur the background or do I keep it sharp? Yes. I think where do it, you fall on that It one? depends on where your interior design skills fall, True. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I love uh, interior design and so uh, sometimes I like, you know, with Cheryl Crow, give them to something to talk about, you know? Uh, She's saying that, right? Yes, That's her? Okay, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, can you imagine the shame if it so wasn't I, her? I typically go for the sharp background, but I do yeah. have to be careful in terms of whatever my outfit is doing around yes. that. So okay. I try and get, you know, a harmonization so that there's not too much clashy stuff going yeah. on. Yeah, well, if you're tube top up, you know, usually you can get away with most things, I find. <laughs> <laughs> so look, your background, um, yeah. Calvin, is from the hotel industry. Yes. What can retail learn from great hoteliers? Yeah, I think uh, hoteliers, great hoteliers, are wonderful at a great consumer experience. C can I just make an early call out here yes. for the Ian Schrager group? Because yes. Oh, I, yes. I have visited and stayed in and Absolutely. slobbered over so many of their properties over yes. the years. Right from the early days when the Royalton happened here in New York City to, yep. to uh, the Hudson, I think. Uh, in re yes. more recent times. You know, for me, that was groundbreaking innovation. Absolutely, and, and it is. And, and risk-taking. Yes, uh, you know, I think that what the hotel industry does really well that I think I'd love for retail to kind of grasp onto is they do have your information as a consumer profile. And it is purely for the use of giving back to you. So that you know when, when, uh, when you know, when the W or the addition or whoever it is asks you, you know, what your favorite beverage is. They're not asking to like advertise a Dyson vacuum to to later, right? They're gonna that thing is gonna show up in your room at some point, right? Sure. When the Four Seasons wants to know that. Um, what have they done really right is they have taken a lot of consumer data that's very intimate data, 
and they've made you know that we're gonna make it better for you. And so what I'd love to do is in a world where technology may escalate the retail experience, um, hopefully it takes away laborsome work in a retail store and allows the sales associate to be an awesome concierge that is not annoying, that they have a little bit of a profile on you and they can serve you in a way that anything we take from you and your information, we are making your experience with us even better. You're discovering a product that you didn't even know you'd like and we found out and we put you in the right place. We didn't waste your time. It, it is so get, personal. It yeah, go, It goes yeah. back to what you're saying. is because their only vested interest is making sure that they make your stay as good as possible right they're not trying to bolt you on all the extra stuff that you didn't need in the first place they just the primary interest is making sure that your primary yes. purchase is right yep and i think the consumer is kind of like becoming more and more aware of uh, with you know with all these laws on cookies and stuff like that when you have to say accept cookies or not it's kind of like wait you're constantly reminded that someone's taking my information yeah, yeah. and i think to be genuinely consumer first in a way that really serves a customer and of We've course, cons consumers are now becoming even more concerned about privacy. Absolutely, yes. You know, With all these breaches and so it's very uncomfortable. It's not, yeah, we need to have, a, have real empathy yeah. for consumers. And, and it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, the social platforms especially make their money by essentially sh sharing and, you know, your data. Yes. And from a consumer's perspective, they try hard to, you know, not necessarily make that quite so upfront, yep. but be in no doubt it's happening. Yeah, I think it's on a great example of a place, you know, for Dickies, we're just the other day deciding, you know, <coughs> if we want your birthday. And your birthday is interesting to us because we can I then, always yes. put in yep. the wrong date. Oh, excellent, good. Well, we know it, I'm kidding, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's like, to some degree you go, oh, well, you know, this it's an excuse to send them something on their birthday, or it could be just to really know how old they are. And, and I've asked our team, like, if we're asking this just to understand how old someone is, then maybe we just need a decade, or maybe we need uh, a generation selection. But me giving away my actual birthday, which could do damage to my credit profile, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's frustrating. So I think that it's just asking as much as we only need to really serve them back. That's so uh, and my start point in some of that kind of div divulging of personal yeah. information is, where are the breaks in the questions? Absolutely. Because, you know, I have now tipped into the 55 plus oh, no. bracket. Okay. And I was much Just more very recently, obviously. Uh, yes. You're so kind. <laughs> I was very comfortable just ticking the 50 yes. plus box. Yes. I wanted to stay there for a while yeah. longer. I describe myself as recently young and I remember having to start doing the scroll to get past my birthday. And now I'm, I mean, multiple swipes of scrolling. Very painful, very noticeable. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting we need repetitive straining <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, pick your decade, yeah. <laughs> Listen, we've talked about a bunch of stuff. I I'm really keen to know, how do you switch off? Because I yeah. don't think you do. Yes, I'm, I do. It helps certainly to do work that you love. And okay. uh, I love puzzles, and I think that Solving yep. jigsaw puzzles or uh, well, Sudoku uh, those two, puzzles? maybe like uh, theoretical puzzles, oh, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. problem solving. Right. And, uh, I get to do that a lot. Um, but so I, you must be into home renovation because that's all about puzzles. I am. In my 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 darkest hidden you know dreams, I would love to do interior design. I, I I'm a huge advocate of this uh, of obliterating this right brain versus left brain. I think yeah, that yeah, you yeah. can be wildly creative and use data to find that. But let me go back to how I shut off. I think that I in my uh, late 20s and early 30s absolutely burnt myself out for a career. I right. did. I taught grad school at NYU, I uh, wrote a textbook, and I was on a whole bunch of boards and just poured myself into career. And 
Um, to some degree, some of that's value, but I almost came to a point, honestly, where I looked back on the last year and said, that'd be great resume, but that's not important on a tombstone. And sure, so um, almost kind of burning myself out, realized uh, to, that nobody gets anything out of me if, um, if I'm burnt out. Uh, I think that my personal career growth has come from being clever and creative, and that comes from loving people and being exposed to people, and I love travel. And so um, after kind of realizing, like, this is not quality of life, um, money is not quality of life, right? Like, uh, and so I, I, um, I judge a good day in terms of how much fun I've had. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways. And so, and, and can I just say for yeah, everyone who's please. listening, in terms of a 10, this interview is up here on the 9.5. I love flattery. Flattery will get you everywhere with me. So stop, don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so come on, how yeah. do you switch yeah. off? No, so it's really now, that, uh, it's actually quite easy for me to switch off. Um, maybe it sounds cliche, but I think I just, it's unending work. I mean, I could, I could work 11 hours a day like a freight train on, on 30-minute calls, and at some point, it's just never going to stop, and so I shut the lid, and uh, I just feel like having looked back on a year or two of like, holy cow, you just ground like crazy. And, and, and do you know what? It's always there tomorrow. It is there tomorrow. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so I... Um, and then sometimes, as much as I genuinely, I really mean this, I adore the culture at VF. It is so much healthier than other companies I've worked at. Uh, and they really do respect evenings and weekends, which is so uh, emotionally like powerful to me. Uh, it has created, if there isn't something that created more loyalty, it's that probably with me. But um, just knowing the taste of like, oh my God, I am just killing myself for someone that does not love me back that much, which yeah. no company, no matter how great they are, is um, you kind of start to learn that, that Life is in those fun moments, and I even I actually told my team last week. I said, "Guys, this is our life right now. If we're not, it was like a whole bunch of deadlines." I said, if, "If we can't find a way to have a good time in this right now, like someone say a you know a dark joke quick because um, you know like we're all here right now. This is our life. Let's let's have a good time doing it." I think there's no moment that a little humor, even if it's dry and sneaky, isn't uh, appropriate. I mean, I just think. Comedy and a little fun is is what makes us happy and creative and exciting and interesting and you know we've got to just keep that at the front of mind. Well, look, it's been my absolute pleasure to talk to you, Calvin Anderson, VP Global Digital Strategy from Dickies, part of the VS Group. Thanks, Carl. You too. This episode of the Retail Exchange was brought to you in association with Peak Technologies, using real-time information to deliver more sustainable supply chains for world-leading retailers across Europe and the US end unreliable and outdated technology and start investing in the very latest in mobility hardware and software proven to drive down operating costs. If you want to benefit your business, its bottom line and the planet, you can't afford not to. Visit peaktech.co.uk today to learn more and book your free 15-minute consultation. Peak Technologies achieves sustainability without reducing quality or value. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Thanks for listening.